Welcome to Writer's Blockbusters, the show where we treat the final edit of the movie like the script. I'm one of your hosts, Bob Rose. I'm at Thundergrunt Bob on all the relevant social medias. And right now, Jimmy's going to introduce himself. <laughs> I am Jimmy George. I am a screenwriter and script consultant. And my Twitter handle is at Jimmy R. George. And now Jamie. I'm Jamie Nash. I am the writer of Save the Cat Writes for TV and the Save the Cat Beat Sheet Workbook. And you can find me on Twitter at Jamie underscore Nash. All right. And today we're going to talk about Oppenheimer. Uh, this is our first and this is our first uh, 2024 episode. We're coming yes. back with arguably the second biggest movie, uh, second biggest blockbuster of last year. Um, before we get into our talking points, we're going to go around and just say our personal feelings about the movie that kind of you know not the script stuff just our personal feelings um let's start with duke nukem himself <laughs> jamie jamie's name is duke nukem on the uh zoom chat thing mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the, my pseudonym for, yeah for everyone that isn't watching this which is everybody so, yeah um, so jamie go ahead <laughs> they never made a duke duke nukem movie did they i think yeah. they're still teasing it yeah that's i've met the guy who does the voice he's a real nice oh. guy that i remember back in the day apogee software that was yeah, like yeah. that was the bomb back back in the day. This is your um, review of Oppenheimer. You'd rather talk about Duke Nukem. Duke Nukem. <laughs> Duke Nukem. Uh, so Oppenheimer, I you know I didn't see too many movies in the theater last year. I mean I saw like I don't know less than five maybe. I can't. Wow. I'm sure I could remember them if I dug deep here. Um, and I did do the whole uh, uh, what is it? Barbenheimer. 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 Yeah. Barbenheimer. I you know I didn't do them on the same day, but it was probably the same week or. <laughs> the same month at least so close enough um and i really was excited about this movie i like biopics um a long time ago so i grew up in the 80s you know and nuclear war was heavy on everybody's mind and that was the fear that we all had anxiety and stuff like that when i went to bed at night there was a lot of existential dread as a child of nuclear annihilation um and when I got a little older, my, my father was a, he was a voracious library guy and he liked history and stuff. And I remember he had, he got the book, uh, fat man and little boy. And, um, I was interested in it. So I, I read that book at the time. So I sort of knew a lot of this stuff in this, but kind of had forgotten it. By the way, the fat man and little boy movie, boring, boring. Not a great movie. Have you seen it? It's not good. Like I could see okay, a lot of people being like, "Well, I saw Oppenheimer. Maybe I'll go and check that one out." I just remember it being really boring. I should rewatch. I would hope it. more people went to Doctor Strange Love instead of that. It could, it could be, could be. Yeah. Um, but but I knew like the fact that they thought. I mean, my big takeaway from that book was that I used to tell people all the time when this topic came up. Did you know that they thought? that when they set off that first nuclear bomb, they thought the world might be annihilated. Like that was my big takeaway from that book. You know, that was the coolest tidbit from that book, but I'd probably been telling people that for years and then going into an explanation of it. So I, I was, I was kind of interested in the subject matter is something that interested me. Um, and my take on the movie was it's, it's a really complicated take for me because I liked I liked the movie in some ways and inspired me to go watch a documentary on it, like immediately. It inspired me to start Googling. I, I, I still haven't gotten the book that is based off of American Prometheus, 
but I kind of would like to read that. Um, so it, it inspired me in a lot of ways, but as we'll get into, um, I had problems with a lot of them. I, not that I was totally bored because I think that's the, his use of film and cinematic techniques can turn boring stuff into like, oh my God, this is exciting. Like he's got the music going, he's doing things and he's, he's mixing up. There's all kinds of cinematic techniques he's using to make things feel like this is exciting. And this is a, and you know, I think this is a great movie to study for those things. Cause there's some things that I think other in other people's hands would be boring, you know, fat man and little boy, you know, style, but I never really got bored in the three hours. Um, but we'll talk about one part where I kind of, I'm not sure they got bored, but I, I checked out a little bit. So I'm mixed on this movie. I kind of, I think it even made my top 10 list for movies this year, but that's not saying much, except I probably only saw 15 movies and this was <laughs> of the 10, you know? Why so, even make a top 10? Yeah, if yeah. It was like, it was like, top I was Jamie's top 15. Yeah, um, you could have just said top 15. It'd be like, this is all that I saw. It's funny because um, I get all the screeners and I went through all the screeners and stuff. And I usually do a thing where I'm kind of like trying to figure out what my, because I have to vote for the WGA stuff and things. So I'm always kind of trying to figure that out. And when I went to make my list, I had to put this on because it was a movie that stuck with me and inspired me to go research more and taught me stuff. And there's a lot of positives to it. But ultimately, this movie's probably like, if I was giving a kind of reviewer grade, it's probably like a B minus, C plus E kind of thing, as opposed to like an A plus, you know? Um, and there are parts of it that are A plus, but parts of it that just don't work for me that we'll talk about in a little bit. Cool. Uh, Jimmy? <clears throat> so I'm pretty lukewarm on this movie. I... Uh... It, no, Nolan's always hit or miss for me. Um, I I agree with like a lot of what Jamie said. Like cinematically, like I can watch it and go, "This is like a very well made movie." You know, I can appreciate those things about it. Um, you know, there's definitely some times that are that are really riveting, um, and and I would argue that those things are also writing. Like if you look, the magical realism is all written on the page, exactly how you see it. You know, all the, all the stuff that, um, Oppie is, is imagining is written exactly how, you know, you see it on the page. So it's definitely writing, but there is a point to be made that, that like the execution of that is really where it shines, not the actual right writing itself. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think we're not really going to get into this, but like for me, uh, Nolan is not, I never connect with his relationship stuff. Like even in the movies of his, I love like Memento and Inception. Um, and I think there's an argument to be made that in Interstellar does it best when we're talking about like relationship stories. But uh, I just. Jay and I, Silent I, Bob Strike Back was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, Chris. <laughs> my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was his Chris best. Nolan. That's my favorite. But I, I don't know. I just, uh, I'm always, um, I, it always rings false for me when there's a relationship happening, uh, especially between uh, a man and a woman. And I'm always just kind of like emotionally disconnected from it. And I don't know if it's that's the writing or the direction or what, but this was a case where those parts of the story were important and I didn't connect with them at all. And so 
yeah, so overall, I'm pretty lukewarm on this, especially from a writing standpoint. Um, and some of the stuff just didn't connect with me, and we're going to go into why. Cool. Um, for me, you know, I have, if you listen to our um, Memento episode, that was that was one where I think you guys were rather positive and I was rather I wasn't negative. I was more like groany. <laughs> and I think that's my complicated relationship with Christopher Nolan in that like in that I like I think I like this movie way more than both of you. I think I like Oppenheimer way more than both of you. But also and this is only because we only would know this. I was the most pushback on doing this movie for the show. Like I didn't <laughs> want. To, like I'm fine watching the movie. I don't want to put it under a microscope. Mm. Like I don't want to. I don't want to analyze Christopher Nolan at all. Like it, it bores me. <laughs> like I don't know why. <laughs> and I did not want to do this for this show. I think you guys could feel that probably in, in the chat when we were talking about it. I was like, <laughs> fine. It was like a real big fine. I didn't want to rewatch it twice. You know what I mean? Like I didn't want to sit through this fucking movie twice for the show and stuff. <laughs> But I also th I also think I like it more than both of you. I think I think hi more highly. I like the uh, the stuff that Jamie will talk about that he didn't like. For me, it works. I think the relationship stuff works better for me than it did for you. But it, oddly enough, I didn't want to do this movie. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's like this odd thing in my brain where I'm like, I don't want to do a Nolan movie again. And it's like, you know, it's just like having to watch it and think about it and analyze it. And I, I don't know. There's something that I find arduous about putting his movies under a microscope. And this is no fucking exception. This is no exception at all to me. I just didn't want to do it. And I don't know what that says about how I feel about it, because I think I like it more. Um, I think it, I think the, I think most of it works for me. That said, I'm not leaping at it. <laughs> like you know what i mean i don't know i have such a weird relationship with nolan it's so odd i the, my favorite thing about christopher nolan is we both have one we both think that mcgruber is a masterpiece and that's about it <laughs> which it is and it's better than anything he's ever made <laughs> and i do like oppenheimer all right <laughs> that's, that's such a weird i don't know Next time he does a movie and you guys are like, let's do that. You're still going to get me going. Uh, <laughs> fine. <laughs> well, I just think, I mean, I, I'm not interrupting. Not you you said your piece, right? Like yes, I can yeah. like interject a little. Go for okay. it. Go for it. Um, yeah. I think there are other movies of his that from a screenwriting standpoint, you can like just like hold up and be like, you can learn a lot from what this does well. And in this case, in my opinion, there's a lot of stuff that isn't executed on the page so well um, for me. <laughs> oh, I think there's lessons to be learned. I don't, I'm not, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that there's not lessons to be learned and it's not going to be a good episode. What I'm saying is I don't want to watch it twice and I don't really <laughs> want to talk about it that much. But I think that there is lessons to be learned. It's something about the way Nolan makes his movies that makes me go, yeah, it's fine. Just stay over there. <laughs> don't make me think about you too much. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but there's definitely it. lessons to be learned, and we have good things to talk about. We Sorry do. if I didn't make that clear. No. Uh, <laughs> it's just my own personal, like, 
grown with Nolan where I don't feel like <laughs> reviewing him anymore. Um, I mean, and I'm weird too. Cause interstellar is probably my favorite Nolan movie. And that's a lot of people. That's where he like lost people. You know, I think he got people back with this one, but a lot of people tell me interstellar is where they kind of separated from. Mm. Nolan. I, you know? I hear a lot of people love interstellar though. I did. Yeah. That's one where I don't hear a lot of people say they love tenant. I mean, I'm sure they're out there. And I'm sure there's a few that we could find, but I I honestly think Interstellar is a little more split. I I know people that okay like that's one of their favorite movies of all time. Uh, that's not for me. I mean for yeah. for Nolan, it's right, my, maybe right. my favorite Nolan movie, but yeah. it's not of all time at all. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I did. That's my favorite of his. You know, I so. I yeah I I like a lot of his movies. I mean, though I got to tell you. My son always, my son likes to watch movie clips and I sit with him, right? Yeah. And he, he, for some reason, he loves um, the Dark Knight Rises, like just the clips. So my son has autism. So he, he like picks clips that he likes to watch. And for some reason, he, he's always attached to people singing the national anthem. So there's that beginning of the football scene. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. singing the national anthem. <laughs> he also likes Borat singing the national anthem, Leslie Nielsen singing the national anthem. And he, he like, <laughs> yeah, anyway, and he likes to say that that's who it is singing the national anthem and stuff. But anyway, he's made me recently watch the fight scene between Batman and Bane at the end. And that is the goofiest fight scene. I, it's almost <laughs> like they ran out of money. And if you watch the extras in that fight scene, it is funny as anything because they're just kind of shaking each other and they're supposed to be having this big battle. Yeah. It is a funny, the way that thing is shot, <laughs> go watch that fight scene. It is kind of, uh. it's kind of funny. I mean, I don't know what's going on with that, but it looks like something I would have directed on a low budget or something. Right, it's, right. It's even shot kind of flat at eye level. It's really a strange, strange fight scene. Um, you remember the remember the opening fight scene in Begins? It's so I, close up and so quickly cut. It's almost irresponsible. It's it's the same, same problem. It's it's just not. I don't know. Yeah, but I I, could I, I have whole, an outright disdain for his Batman movies, which I've expressed. I, I, I could do a whole podcast on that fight scene. Yeah. I actually really <laughs> like this, the I really like the second Batman movie, and I think it's super complex. I mean, I can see why some people might not like it for a Batman movie, but it's super complex. But it all lands, and it, I I don't know. I'm I'm very impressed by that movie. Oh, people um, love it. Yeah. yeah, I I I think it's a really. Um, in some ways, it's his "quote unquote" masterpiece in a weird sort of way because it really is complex. Yeah, it really it, is a complex. Yeah, movie. even if I don't like it, I'm, I'm. Yeah, people love it, and that's his pop masterpiece. Beyond, yeah, and it's got it anyway. It so so I do it's like no McGruber, but you know what is? I I just um, want to do a whole podcast on that fight scene. I'm dead uh, serious. <laughs> I know you are. That's why I love I, it. I'm not. I want everyone listening to know I am not kidding. Bob, you should put McGruber on your list, man. On your uh, top, I don't know. I don't know. List we must talk about. <laughs> or Bo Rat. We, we, we should do Bo Rat sometime. That'd be weird, right? Because of the real stuff. Weird one. <laughs> yeah. a super weird one. Anyway, let's not talk about other movies. Let's talk about <laughs> Oppenheimer. Let's get to the topics. Uh, Jamie, who wrote this shit? Your mic is off, too. <laughs> yeah. No, I, okay. I, I had to flip back to hit, hit the mic. Um, so Christopher Nolan wrote the screenplay and it's funny because in interviews, I heard him like saying he showed it to Jonathan Nolan or something. He was upstairs and, but I guess Jonathan didn't write it. He was just as the guy bounces it off of. Um, 
So I'm not exactly sure about that, but he got the credit for the for it. But it's based off of a book, the book I mentioned earlier called American uh, Prometheus uh, by Kai Bird and Martin Sherwin. Mm-hmm. That's, that's who we got. Okay. How much was the box office, Jamie? Yeah. It, it was... It was almost a billion dollars in box office. It and didn't hit. I thought it hit a billion. This this has worldwide nine hundred and fifty three million. Oh, so it, it, it wasn't right. just bought the re release. After it wins Best Picture, which I kind of think it's going to. I kind it's of pro- think I, I would I would put my money on. Yeah, it. I just don't think anything's going to push it out. Um, get it, man. I I think it's going to win, and then they can re release it and get fifty million. The fifty million it needs to be a hundred. Um, well, Jimmy, so, it's exactly it's what the Academy likes, I think, more than okay. you know what I mean? Like it's an Academy Awards type movie. Yeah, it is. I, it it's is. not about like, you know, I, what we're going to talk about. I, it's that kind of a movie. The, the reason I like it and the reason it is in my top 10 and stuff like that. I want movies like this and I want them to make movies like this. You know, I, I do, this isn't like some weird out of left field thing. It just feels like a movie they used to make a lot of, you yeah. know, and they don't as much anymore. So. It wouldn't and, even be notable in the '90s for this movie to come out. No, you know? no, it wouldn't. And yeah. and I think I think to a large extent the box office shows that. I think people went and saw it. They were like, "I want to see this. I want to go watch this movie. It's well made. They're putting it on IMAX. You know, let's go check it out. You know, so that's good. I like that. Yeah, more of. I think its existence is good. Yes, big <laughs> yeah. time, big time. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk about taking big swings with screenplay format. <laughs> Whose was this? This was mine, but it's mainly okay. for Jamie. <laughs> so, okay. So, so the uh, Jimmy versus Jamie. <laughs> no, not versus no, at all. I know. This is I'm me no, I'm bowing to 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 the screenwriting god here. Um, the so one of the this big is things how then... I will do it. <laughs> <laughs> These tablets. So, <laughs> so <laughs> as much as we're going to talk about how the story is told on the screen uh a lot of what got people excited or maybe angry a lot of you know uh complicated conversations took place from the fact that this script at least oppenheimer's portion of it is written in first person um right it's not the first script to ever be written in first person by the way it's just so notable that nolan chose to do it and so i kind of wanted to just talk about to Jamie, uh, how you feel about taking big swings with screenplay format and how that has come into play in your career and just like when when you choose to do it and when you don't and how uh, people in the industry like respond to it for you. Yeah, yeah. And um, just to kind of mention the big swings you're taking about in this script, the big thing he did that people talk about is he used first person at times. So he, he was writing as Oppenheimer. He was like, I walk into the room. Right. I, I turn the buttons. I, you know, whatever I, I see her in the, in the corner. Um, and the other thing he does, which I've done is he, he puts different timelines. One is in italics and one is in standard font. And I've done that too. Um, uh, so, and I can tell you when I did that in particular, I I've seen, by the way, the first person thing, he says, I'm the first person who done it. I've seen it a few times. Yep. And I tell you, I tell you the scripts I used to see it in was, was, um, uh, found footage. Some people did read found footage in, in that, you know, and it was kind of a clever idea. It was like, 
it was kind of the form meets meets the function. I, you know, I feel it's kind of a gimmick. You know, I don't, I don't really have anything. You know, if it works for him and it kind of gets attention, he's not really a guy that needs to do that. I mean, this movie's greenlit based on, you know, it's not because he's using first person. So to <laughs> me, he doesn't, to, he doesn't need <clears throat> to do anything. He's Christopher Nolan. <laughs> to, to, to me, right? in his, yeah, exactly. And because yeah. I, I even asked that on Twitter just now. I was because I was curious. I was thinking. Chris Nolan's really a guy that is writing almost on spec. He's doing original stuff, Batman stuff, not counting, but that's kind of what got him and prestige. Um, and this was actually based on a book. So maybe what I'm saying is false, but um, <laughs> I, I was like, he, he doesn't really have this laundry list of, of Del Toro defunct projects. Like, and the, and the one that <clears throat> they reminded me of was the aviator which he had to go away from because uh, Scorsese did his. But that was even before all this. I think he picks his shot, he writes the thing, and generally it gets made. I don't yeah. think he's – and even Spielberg, he has a huge laundry list of like projects that never come about. But I don't think Nolan operates that way. So whether he writes first person, whether he decides not to write a script and go straight to the storyboards, I don't think anybody cares. I don't think it matters. Um, I think Nolan actually has more cachet right now than Spielberg. I, I definitely think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Um, but if you I, ever uh, had pushback, Jamie, from Jamie, have you ever had pushback from, from like from doing that? I've never had pushback from doing it. Um, I've never done it quite first person, whatever. But I'll give you some examples of what I have done. So the italics thing. I wrote a TV pilot at one point that had multiple timelines and I sent it out and my agent was getting confused at the time or my rep, I'm not sure, it wasn't my agent, uh, was getting confused at, at to the narrative because I was jumping back and forth, you know, and they were just, and it's because of the nature of the way readers read, they read fast. They're like, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. and they're not paying attention and they, they barely Without know. The visual cues, it's harder. You know what it's I hard. mean? Like, yeah. So, so I put, I changed it. I did colors or italics or both, or I can't remember just to kind of help them out to say, Hey, it's switching. Hey, it's switching. I put a note in the beginning, you know, blue is this. Yeah. Blue, you know? <clears throat> and, and it worked, it worked fine. Um, so that was in response to a problem that was, that was in response. Um, that was in response to a problem. That's a so, great example. Yeah. 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 Um, I've done other things. Like there's a trick um, that whenever I show it to writers, like I when they do consulting with me, I'm always like, I, I hardly ever put a slug line on my first page. Um, and it's kind of like a thing. I think I, you and I were talking about this. We were talking time. about this, Jamie. Um, yeah. And it's because movies don't start with like, like like Oppenheimer, let's say we start on his face. We don't start on living room. We start on face. And mm -hmm. and that always bothers me when I'm trying to paint the picture. You know what I mean? And I don't do that throughout the whole script. But at least on the first page, I want to have that control. I want to say, you know, we start on a computer or we start on an uh, explosion or something. And I don't want to start on a living room. I want to start on something else. Not, not really a big swing there. Um I'll give you two other examples. So there was a thing from what was the movie that that block that you showed me, Jimmy? What, what's that movie? Oh, Brian um, Duffield. That's why I wanted to bring that one up. Yep. Right. No, no right. one will save you. The one on Hulu. Yeah. No one will save yep. you. Did this wild thing where they put like a full page block of like it's almost like a word scramble. 
or something. But they're all and internals if you read them. They are like a person freaking out. Yeah. I, I did something very similar to that, but it was kind of like an everything everywhere all as all at once moment. You know how they're flashing through multiple timelines? And I did a block of text with like all these little sentences just to represent boom, 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 just how fast it was, like how you're going through dozens of things. So I do things like that every now and then just because how else are you going to represent that? You're going to convey you know, it, yeah. Otherwise, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. So I'm, I'm just, I kind of do these little short sentences <clears> and they're all around the page and I might bold some to kind of hit you with it or something. It's very much like what he did when I saw that. Um, so that's one place I've done that. And the, the other place I, I've done this recently, um, I wrote a script and it was actually a biopic. And I, I actually used artwork in it a lot. Because they were like, um, I had a, it's it's hard to describe without giving you the concept, which I won't do, but it's, um, it's like when I introduced characters, it, it freeze framed and showed you information about them in this very stylized way. That's the part I won't say. And to write that was kind of crap. So I just, <laughs> I just, I just made it, you know, I, I made the art so yeah, to yeah. Speak, and I just put it in there. And then once I started to do that, because this was a biopic, there were a bunch of other nostalgic specific items that instead of writing, I just started to put pictures in all over the place. And this is the only script I really did this for. And I was expecting to get pushback from everybody, right? And every single person I sent to never mentioned it. And if I ever brought it up just out of curiosity, they were like, I was like, should I, you know, it was almost like me kind of revealing my insecurity. I'd be like, should I take those out? They were like, no, 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 they're great. I love those. So everybody, awesome. you know, I think it just kind of, sometimes if you make the right choices for the right reasons, and this is the key factor. If you make the right choices for the right reasons and you have really good justification, it's the same idea behind mini plot. Um, it's cool. It's fine. Nobody cares. The danger is when you start doing these things willy nilly or do them too much or just do them for no reason, then they start feeling more like mistakes mm -hmm. or they feel like inexperience. So it's a, it's a very fine line between somebody feeling like they're some newbie that doesn't know what they're doing and just making a mess of the form and somebody that's done it so much that they're so bored that they want to start writing I instead of third person, which is, I think, where <laughs> Nolan is. I think it just, that's what gets him up in the morning. He's like, oh, I got to do this boring screenplay. Oh, maybe it'll be more fun if I do first person. It'll get me engaged. It'll feel different. It'll feel like, like a- I love the idea like of him going, I got to do this boring screenplay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I get the feeling. Um, so anyway, you just have to be really cautious. Uh, <clears throat> and, and whether that's the old lame trope of you have to know the rules before you break them. Um, it's kind of a little bit like that. You kind of have to know why you're doing it. You have to know what it's doing and you have to kind of anticipate what the reaction will be from a reader. And if you can just, if you can tick all those boxes and you put in that thinking and it's not just being lazy because you don't know the difference between third person and first person and you accidentally did it, <clears throat> then I think it's okay. And that's kind of my take on it. It's that. perfect. You, yeah. you said everything I was hoping you, you addressed it all. Thanks. Good job. That's, Good job. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, okay. Did you have anything else on that, Jimmy? Just that? No, it's just we, it, right? we 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 don't we don't get to talk about the written form much, oddly, on a screenwriting podcast because this it's such it's so visual and the, the listeners can't see what we're talking about but this is the case where we it's also pretty... do the final edit of the movie so we're yeah. even as, as a show almost disregarding yeah the, the written word for the most part but the yeah. but the but this screenplay is out there if it's you want to look for it yep. if just type in oppenheimer you just google PDF, it mm-hmm. you'll find and same, it and same with the duffield one about. the duffield yep. one's out there too no one will um, save you yeah i was gonna list a whole bunch of them a, but a you quiet just covered place. it so well yeah, a quiet place is another one. They have pictures and stuff, and they're only sixty pages. That's the one I always bring up. Um, yeah, Nightcrawler doesn't have scene headings, yeah. so no slug lines in the Co- whole thing. Cohen Brothers, <laughs> I think, have done that a few times too. Yeah, so they're they're out there. The experimentation didn't Shane Black puts a lot of like n- like funny notes to the breaks audience, the fourth right? wall and that wall created and a style that. that is now very common but at the time when he did it no it was one was new doing yeah. it his, his yeah, almost, almost became the norm and so it in a did way. it did at the like self-aware i am a screenwriter writing to you right now um the yeah. looney tunes showing the artist yeah thing, right walter yeah. hill if you've ever if you've never read if you're listening and you've never read a walter hill script he does action stacking so it looks like more like a haiku it's very cool. It's a completely different way to do that. And then James Cameron has mirrored that style in in Aliens and Terminator 2 does a lot of action stacking Walter Hill style. But there's the point. The point was that this writing in first person is super unconventional. And uh, there were multiple reasons for doing it. And the main reason that he got away with it is Nolan. But I like hearing from Jamie that he hasn't had pushback when he makes unconventional choices. So. Gotcha. Uh, well, that's a perfect, it's kind of a perfect segue into how the story is told. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like, I feel like the formatting goes directly into that. When to use a narrative gimmick. Yes. I, I put nonlinear storytelling, dual P- POV framing devices, magical realism. Oh my. Um, I also think <laughs> before we get into it, I think this also like kind of, is the reason this movie had a lot of controversy, right? Because mm-hmm. the POV, mm-hmm. the the actual like gimmick of the movie is what led a lot of people to be like, well, why aren't they talking about this? Why aren't they showing this? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like They're... that's and those are all important discussions. They but, are, but but the movie itself is you know it's it's using a narrative gimmick which lots of make them, <laughs> lots of them, which kind of makes some of those things other people were talking about. You couldn't throw them in and feel right. Right. You, yeah. You know Tonally what I mean? And, yeah. Tonally and everything. It wouldn't work to see, you know, to see like the bombs dropping and stuff like that. Right. Like, it doesn't make sense in the narrative gimmick. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out. No, I'm glad you it did. Is a, it's an important thing. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about the movie, but this is usually the response. The, <laughs> yeah. the narrative gimmick that the movie's using, just like the book, I believe, is the reason those aren't there. It's not because they're not important. Right. Yeah, that's well, that's well said. No, I, I, I brought it up because I figured um, this is kind of something that people are having, you know, either they love this shit or they hate this stuff, right? right, right In right, response yeah. to watching the movie, that's the risk of the gimmick. So I, I read a lot of, I read amateur scripts all day and I read a lot of scripts that are just like not doing, not overflowing with format big swings like we just talked about but they're overflowing with gimmicks 
and most of the time the gimmicks are not working and there's a there's a lot of reasons why and generally when nolan works with gimmicks they're like his thing right like that's what that's what he's been known for like a dream within a dream and uh you know a story told backwards and a story where everything is in reverse literally you know these types of things are his calling card and so uh this one for me there's one gimmick that doesn't work and i kind of wanted to go through this litmus test i've talked a few times on the show that i use with my clients and i think there's one of these for me i'm saving it to last where it doesn't pass the test um and i think that we're gonna go into why that is emotionally in a little while but i'll go ahead and go through the through the, i have like a, a a few set of criteria that i feel like a gimmick will work if it does these things um and that so the first one is is it cohesive as being complete as opposed to being completely unrelated are the gimmicks cohesive i feel like all of them are right like yeah, the, the magical I realism, so. the 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 even though the non-linear is a little confusing, it's cohesive. It fits the rest of it. Like it mad, it 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 doesn't. They they work together. You know, I I feel like the not like we're not to go back a few points, but the non-linear storytelling. If there was a tighter visual separation between not the the Strauss stuff, but the other two timelines. I feel like that's almost a, it, like if it sh- if it looked different. I don't yeah. know. Add a sepia, if no one added a sepia filter or something, over one of them, but I, I don't. I'm oh, so you that. think the execution of the I flash that, forward in Oppenheimer's yes. perspective is a little confusing between when it jumps I, back to the past. Have, having seen the movie three times, that's what I find the most like. Oh, right, this is then oh. versus now. Like, I feel like if it had a visual separation, it would be uh, better for the audience. Yeah. And I've heard that from other people. I've heard some people that were very confused by that when they first saw it. Yeah. Wow. The Strauss stuff being black and white is great because it really puts you in that moment the second it shows up. But I I feel like the other two could use a separation. So Um, maybe it gets an X on the inco. Maybe it's a little incohesive then. A little uh, bit. I'm not saying it's detrimental. I mean, by the third time I watched the movie, I'm fine. I get it. But. The first run through when I saw it in theaters, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, like, oh, oh, because uh, like Cillian Murphy already, he kind of doesn't look that different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then you start to be like, wait, what is this happening? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah like the, the framing device, too, it's kind of become the standard for some of these biopics like social network is the one we think of, yeah. you know, when we first yeah, come, yeah. there's like an investigation, a criminal trial or something where people are asking questions like, you know, why did you join the project? And then they would, boom, we flash back to when he joined yeah. the project. What it's, did, was the conversation you had with such and such? Boom, we're there. Um, and it, beca- and then that has a narrative going as well as the actual narrative. So it seems, it seems to become almost like the knee jerk, way to do these biopics in some ways um i know i've dabbled with this question of maybe i should social network it or something many times when i've done biopics and i'll also say the surreal storytelling is another thing i see a lot in biopics um i i started to see this on the blacklist the blacklist had a lot of these you know uh it would it was like 
the Michael Jackson story from the eyes of Bubbles the Chimp or something like that it was an actual script that was on the blacklist. Or I think Muppet Man, uh, the Jim Henson script that was very popular had the Muppets talking to him and stuff like that. You know, there were things like that. So that's that kind of surrealism, that uh, magical realism, very common. It's almost like go-to. It's almost like the checkbox. Like if I were to say modern biopic on the blacklist, it'd be like um, investigation. Framing device. Frame. Check. Check. Magical realism. Check. Check. So, so to me, like I don't even blink at these things because that's just what I've read in the blacklist can, or seen movies for years. Yeah. So it's like, can we give can we give people listening, uh, just like a simple what is magical realism? I think I feel like people. Okay, might it's basically want to know it's what what that. Jamie described. Something surreal is happening, and it's close to real, but it's not actually real. For instance, uh, and it's not actually happening. For instance. Uh, Oppenheimer, you know, this, the Oppenheimer's being interrogated about his relationship, uh, with the character. I forget what her name is called. Uh, uh, that he was having Pugh. A, Florence Pugh's character. And then he, he imagines her grinding on him while, while he's naked talking well, his wife, his wife does. That. Yeah, yeah, his, his yeah. wife does. Uh, see, that's a little not... confusing, though. I don't think that in the script, it's not his wife is no. imagining. I, it's Oppenheimer I, imagining. I didn't it. think that was the I uh, chapters, but I didn't read that part of the script. Yeah, it is in the. Okay. Yeah, okay. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe well, I'm. OK, that me. moment's a bit complex. I, more like I was just saying, like him imagining like people's faces that melting too. off that too. that's magical realism. I, that's, yeah, yeah i was yeah. gonna say like what's that, interesting about this this is example. like very much of the airy aster uh magical realism as opposed to like a, a show called jane the virgin that plays with magical realism all the time and a fun it, it's exciting it's fun it's 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 tongue-in-cheek you know it's you you a lot of people like associate magical realism with something that's fun and happy and in this case the magical realism is all like nightmarish and 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 sad and scary so they it can go both ways um like a perfect example though like what i'm saying like is it can my next my next litmus test is is it consistent well like one of the very first shots is him like imagining like atoms and then like seeing light swirl literally above his bed like in front of his face that's magical realism right so right from right, the start right. we get it and like it's it's happening and then the movie continues to use it consistently um and then the non-linear is consistent you know right from within the first two minutes we get three timelines you know and that continues on and then uh yeah so like my one another test is is your is your is your are your gimmicks consistent like as opposed to the framing device where we get the first scene of the movie is a framing device and then the rest of the script there's no framing device and all of a sudden 75 minutes in you get the second scene in the framing device and you're like wait what oh that's right there's a framing device or you get like magical realism five pages in and there's not a shred of it for the rest of the script and then on page 90 something huge happens that's magical realism and you're like as an audience member or or a reader you're like wait what the that i don't understand what's going on and then you're like all oh, right there's this is a magical realism story you know so consistency for me is really like one of the keys to making sure a gimmick works if, if it's like 
you know, coming up at least like every once in a while, at least 10% of the time or 25% of the time, at least like throughout and not just like at the beginning and at the end, you know, I see that a lot. I'll read a script and they do all these fun gimmicks at the beginning of the story. And then there's no shred of a gimmick whatsoever. And then the gimmick shows up in the end. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, there's gimmicks in this script. So, and they're not meant to be funny or something. They're just, no, they're, they're just, they're, they just, they just think that's enough and that's going to work. And it oh, doesn't okay. because it hasn't, you haven't read, you haven't experienced anything like that for most of the movie. Um, whereas this one, it uses all of them consistently and that's like what you need to make it work. So, um, the, the next, the next question I usually have is, and this is the one that I think where it runs into trouble is, does it emotionally enhance the story as opposed to taking away from the overall experience or adding nothing to it? And here is where I think, I think the framing devices and the nonlinear nature messes with the rhythm of how the story is told in a way that like takes away from it as a whole. Like for me, I emotionally disengage when we start getting into those flash forwards, you know, when we start getting into the interrogation and we start getting into like uh, Robert Downey Jr. Strauss, like sitting in front of the council, all that stuff, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm taken, I'm taken out of it. And I'm like, I'm just like kind of what is happening and why is this happening and why am I supposed to care? So I wanted to get your take on that. What you guys think? I, I mean, I think that's where I differ from both of you. I think I really like the Strauss stuff because to me, it's like uh, it's Amadeus. Strauss is Salieri and, you know, Oppenheimer is Amadeus. So like that's how I read the movie. And so it makes it a lot more interesting to me. Like the whole thing, the whole thing kind of I also like the pettiness of the Strauss storyline because he thinks Oppenheimer insulted him to Albert Einstein. He did all this other crap to try to ruin him. And I enjoy that. That makes that interests me on a character level. So, uh, but that's my gotcha. response to it. I'm not saying everyone feels like that, you know. I, I and by the way, I I know uh, I heard in interviews that Robert Downey Jr. said uh, he didn't know how to play the character, and then Nolan said it's Amadeus, and he said, and he goes, oh, oh really? I got it, yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> I um, didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually said okay. that. He said it's Amadeus, right. and then Nolan was like, oh, I get it, I get it. Oh <laughs> shit! All right. Well, I read that one right, I guess. I don't know. Wait, I, Jimmy, what was your what was your question though overall here? Um, I'm, I've I'm, it went from magical realism to this. And I was oh, like, it was it was. Does this game does does this? I was getting to the different questions of right the framing like whether and the a gimmick works or not. And then I said, yeah. does the do the do the gimmicks emotionally enhance the rest of the story, or do they take away from the overall experience? I see. Where, I see. For, I, for I instance, was saying, I was saying yes. And, yeah. and, and for and I'll give you an example. Like when we did Memento, the reason mm -hmm. that the nonlinear nature of that story is so great, and why the gimmick is so great, is because that is the most emotionally impactful way to tell those events. If you tell them linearly, they're not as interesting. Same goes with Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, when we did that episode, the nonlinear nature of it is how you learn the theme and the lesson. And yes. here, I feel like the nonlinear framing devices don't do anything to help it. And for me, they take away from the overall Oppenheimer experience. That's, that's I'd rather it be more linear is what you're saying. I'm saying, I'm saying those things for me, they take, yeah, they make it less emotionally engaging. What? They, yep. they muddy it. The, for, wait, the nonlinear nature or the actual storyline? The, the, the X, the, the how it's told. 
Okay. Okay. I'm just making sure is, is a detriment for me. Whereas gotcha. in the past, Nolan's how it's told is why it's so great. I, yeah. yeah, I, here's my issue with it. And this might be jumping a little bit further. That's why I wanted to ask you to clarify. Yeah, no, gonna, yeah. I'm setting you up for that. Yeah. Yeah. I might, it's have, very to, nuanced. I, yeah. I might have to jump a little bit to a, a later okay. topic. Um, so um, on one hand, I think the framework works well. And I think this is why it's used so often to gather the parts of a long story of a story that requires um, many years. And so, cause stories that require many years, sometimes the obstacles and the conflict can get muddled because it's, you know, if you could take four years to solve the problem, then it just isn't like as urgent as it might feel. Right. right. It, and, and you can bring context to it using a framework like this. Like you can mm -hmm. give us the urgency. You can give us the feeling that four years, cause it's all edited quick and you can jump through time and fill in gaps and do all kinds of stuff. So I think it works great for that. I, I, I think it's almost, and that's why I think this kind of framework is used so often. It also allows us to maybe if they're, and believe it's weird to say a story about building the nuclear bomb doesn't have tension, you know, to, to win world war two. But I think part of it is we know what happens. So we know the Germans don't get hit. We know they beat the Germans. There's some, there's some, you know, we, we have some knowledge of that. So we know it's not as dire as like Indiana Jones finding the lost Ark of the Covenant before the Nazis get it or something like that. Right, right. Um, because we know that they're going to get beat anyway. Um, so, so, um, so in that, in that regard, there, there isn't as much conflict as there probably was in real life or tension as there was and ticking, ticking clock as there was in real life. And they sort of underplay that side of it in the execution of this movie. We never really feel like, oh my God, we got to hurry. We got to do this. Instead, it's like, because the government's always like, we have to compartmentalize, we have to slow down. And he's he's like, he works around that, but he doesn't like, we have to do this, man, or we're going to die. You know, it's not, there's, it, it's kind of at their own pace in a weird sort of way, even though I'm sure it wasn't that way in real life. So, so I think the framework helps with that. So here's the part. I have trouble with the framework. I find that, and oh, oh well, what I was going to say with the framework, one more thing, is if you can provide tension in the framework, it can kind of trick you to thinking there's tension in the linear narrative, the longer linear narrative. It feels, mm -hmm. it just feels more tense because those things have ramifications in the future. And therefore they all, you know, seeing him talk to, his friend and his friend kind of asking, I can tell the Russians for you suddenly feels like it's very important, but it's really not important for like 20 years or something like that. Like that's when it plays out. So it's, it's interesting how that works. Um, so here's where I have an issue with it for me. And that, this is for me, um, whatever reason I found the most humanness with Oppenheimer, um, was in the past story. I thought he was, he was interesting. He was kind of like a guy who was throwing his ethics to the past because he was interested in the science, but he had the ethics and he was, he was in love and he was cheating and he was doing all these things. Whereas later I found the character got colder with age, like, or something there's, it was, it was harder to parse with age. And, um, I, that was probably true to life. That that's the other thing I want to give Nolan credit it, for. It, it, it is. Yeah. I mean, that, that's I, I want to really give true. Nolan credit. This movie is very, very historically accurate. They're unlike a lot of biopics 
where you'd look stuff up and they would be like, oh, that didn't happen. And this did. Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. <laughs> this movie fits social so- network. Yeah. Social, social network. network. Yeah. Like when I watched the documentary of this movie, it does pretty much track. There are a lot of things, most of it, awesome. he's tracking. So, and I, I think maybe that's why some of the things I don't like about it are there. Um, so later in the film, so after the bomb goes off, and this this isn't a criticism just I had, so I don't want to make it like, but honestly, I looked at my watch and I was like, damn, there's 50 minutes left in this thing? You know, it's like, I'm kind of like, what are we going to do for the next 50, you know? Well, the bomb's the uh, the whiteboard sort of, right? Like yeah. That's why we're here, It's right? why we're here. They accomplished <laughs> yeah. the mission. It felt like, and I, I could see another 10 minutes or <laughs> for 15 minutes, but I was like, 50 minutes? This is a whole story we have to tell. And honestly, I just didn't find that story as emotionally engaging or as compelling. And I didn't think Oppenheimer felt himself, the character felt like it was that, like he wasn't like, this is my legacy or anything. He's just like, yeah, I'm saying. okay, yeah, okay. Uh, uh, my security clearance, that sucks. Oh, well, and then he wins a prize anyway. It just, and I think it's true to his character. And I think that's part of the reason it's there. But to me, I was just kind of disengaged. He didn't care too much. I didn't care too much. It was just a security clearance. He's getting older. Well, he you don't need to care up. because he doesn't yeah. express that he well, cares. And well, that's have, the writing side of it. You'd have to do a lot to execute that he cares. And there's ways to do that, you know, if he does care. But I think Nolan was like, I don't know how he do felt you, about it, really. Do so. you think there's an argument to be made that the story is the fact that he doesn't care? The I, fact that he's broken. I mean, he's there. There's an yeah, argument to be made for that. But that to me is boring. Um, you know, I well, don't they, want to, and they right, didn't dramatize story. it. They didn't create conflict around that. Yeah. You know, like, like, like she, yeah. Yeah. Like if he was, and there's some hints at stuff like that, like with his wife yelling at him, like, and mm-hmm. he just sits there and kind of goes, eh, I don't care. You know, um, it just, for me, it just, <laughs> exactly. it's, it's, hard. it's the biopic of it all. That's, that's, it's hard because that it's what happened, right? Well, the biopic, like, you know what I mean? It's not just a story you're writing. The, it's, it's, the only reason yeah. I'd say that it's not just the biopic of it all is that's when you start doing this crazy framing and nonlinear and all that stuff. That's how you make that not happen. You somehow make the bomb go off and the thing happen and all of it happened at the same yep. time. They can do whatever they want. So yeah. I think there's something missing in the puzzle for me in the end. I think the puzzle gets a little off. It, when he started to shuffle things, I think that's the part where it's like, and maybe it's because Nolan was really interested in that stuff. He was like, but for me, like when Robert Downey's like, and and you're the one holding the knife and this and that, it's almost like a spoof to me because who cares? It's a security clearance. And they're playing this dramatic music and stuff. And he's like, and then I twist the knife and then you don't know. And I don't know. And he's doing it. And that, it's like this big convoluted thing that's really just like, I'll rig the little tiering and we'll get a security clearance taken away. And then he won't be able to bother us anymore. And that, because that, that's where I'm staring at it. So to me, it's all in Robert Downey Jr. Like, the, it's almost like it was Robert Downey Jr.'s movie. Um, and it really was from his point of view and his embarrassment. And we saw this kind of mad politician go down this crazy route and think he was Machiavellian. Like, to me, maybe that would be the way to tell that story. But to tell it from Oppenheimer's perspective, I don't know. It just didn't grab me too much. And I was just kind of like, eh, I'm kind of done with this at this point. It's and, yeah, it yeah. Be, it's also it's like not just it's also not just screenplay. It could be an editing criticism too. Like there's for me, it's the writing, a, like straight if, up. If there was if there is a way to like 
get to the bomb at the end of the movie while also showing that stuff so it all crescendos at the same time that's that's you know what i mean yeah let's like actually hit the actual talking point the talking point that we that jamie's like talking around and and you're both circling around the same thing is like in my opinion the stakes for both of those for both of those framing devices are really not compelling and and you're talking about two of the main stories storylines of the movie building to something that for me wasn't compelling which is okay like strauss gets elected First of all, like Bob, I think your Amadeus comparison is fucking awesome. Except that's well, not apparently how- it was exactly what they were thinking. <laughs> Except it's not. That. It doesn't. It it doesn't play out that way. It is a reveal that he's Amadeus. So for it's like ninety pages, ninety minutes of the movie before it shifts that he's a manipulative, uh, like politician. The first half he's play. It's played very straight. Like he's. It's not that he's on a vendetta against that. It shifts to, oh, I've been manipulating this situation the whole time. That's like a late reveal. And then so so it's sort of like late breaking stakes, right? Like like that. It's like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, a hundred minutes into this thing, I'm supposed to feel like, oh, shit, I don't want to get him elected. Because even from Oppenheimer's perspective, when they're in the war room together, like Robert Downey Jr.'s character Strauss is is not portrayed as a man, and I know that's on purpose, right? Because he's being fooled by Op. That's the whole thing. But I think that comes at a loss of emotion, which is like when he's in the war room. Uh, Oppie looks at what Robert Downey Jr. says with respect, and he listens to him, and he's like, "This guy belongs at the table. This guy, like." I should value and listen to his opinion, even if it differs than mine. There's no tension about this guy is manipulating the situation. So I need to make sure he doesn't get to do that, which is basically the outcome we're supposed to be fearing, right? Like in the end, like if he gets elected, then he's going to just do this all over again, except you're never made to feel that way for until like a hundred minutes into the movie. And it's because from a writing standpoint, how you make that happen is you have like 10 minutes into that story. You have uh, Oppenheimer be like, this guy is a fucking manipulative, crazy guy. Like if he, if he gets elected, like we're like the country is, is like bound to do something just like it did before. You know, you, 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 you dramatize the stakes for, for Strauss being elected. And then you build to the revelation that yes, Strauss has been manipulating this. Strauss is the one who got him in the room and got him in trouble. Um, what do you mean? To real life. I'm just saying, what's the big reveal? What's the I, big outcome to Robert Downey Jr.'s character? No, being I'm not put disagreeing on the with what you're saying. I think you're you're saying I'm saying that as a I think that also biopics as a viewer, there's a part of me that's like, if it's accurate, I'm like, okay with it. Okay. Does that make sense? I'm actually enraptured because it's real. Yeah. Yeah. There's a part of me that I'm forgiving of that because of what it is. If we were talking about something that wasn't based on anything, absolutely agree with you. I, but I admit that there's a part of me that's like, I don't mind the actual like setup of their prior relationship. 
in a non-Hollywood way. Okay. And the and the build and everything. Like that doesn't bother me as much because of the reality of the movie itself. Okay. Um, which I think also goes into writing. You're writing yeah. a biopic. I think for a lot of people that doesn't bother them. But what you're saying also is not wrong. Yeah, I, I, I just it. I just uh in the same on the same side as to to Jamie's point about his wife about Oppenheimer's wife being like, why don't you fight? That is exactly when you how you dramatize. That's the moment when you get Oppenheimer audience. to say yeah. how he feels and, and and you pull it out of him. Right. And number one, this script didn't do that. Number two, that doesn't come until page 100. <laughs> the mm -hmm. first time someone says, why don't you fight to him in that storyline is. A hundred pages. And then even then, no one's talking about like his all the stakes for him losing his security clearance are barely mentioned. So I don't even know what happens to him when he loses his security clearance. So why am I supposed to care? Like, what am I rooting for him to succeed over? You know well, what I mean, I mean? And that for me is the writing. Why, the, the why am I supposed to care is weird for me because I feel like the movie does a good job of showing exactly what the government is trying to do to him. And what the government's saying about the entire situation. I don't know. That's what I care about. We're, we're, you're talking about the character part of it, which, mm -hmm. you know, valid. But I also find the actual, like, larger story that it's hinting at really interesting and engaging. For me, at least. I don't know. Gotcha. Like, gotcha. You know, literally, the government is trying to pin everything on him. You know, McCarthyism and all this stuff. They're trying to get to his roots and everything. And we know as the audience that it's complete bullshit. Right. Oppenheimer feeling complete guilt for the fact that he's maybe destroyed the world. I don't know. There's a lot of weight there. I think that just talking about that, you're missing like he, his guilt over the weight of maybe destroying the world. He kind of doesn't care about the smallness of what you guys are having a problem. Then, with then, 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 like, ha then have him at the dinner table. Say that that's all you need. I guess. Have I him, I have him that. be like, I I never mind who have him be like, who cares about my reputation? What about the 200,000 people? I don't think the actual guy killed. would have said that though. Ah, so you're saying the it actual, would ring false. If the, he said, yes, that. I mean what Jamie said, I've watched a few documentaries on Oppenheimer. I don't think the actual guy was I, like, yeah, that. I think he's really Especially after, but after the bomb, he doesn't say, he doesn't speak like that. He I got very, you. Even I, when he got, he died of cancer. When he got his diagnosis, Everyone says he was very sullen, quiet. I guess I'm. About I guess I'm the guy then that I'm the shit. I'm the asshole at the notes table. Going, I don't care. I need to understand yeah. well, what he feels, and therefore right. no, you I get need that. to violate the actual reality of the I, character in order to help the audience or me at least understand what I'm supposed I, to feel. I, I think I'd rather this than Bohemian Rhapsody. I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, and yeah. I don't like Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody right? No. I'm not saying you do. You know what I mean? Like a lot of like Hollywood and Bohemian Rhapsody. And it's it, this. This is what's interesting about this is. Um, so I, I love think, that we differ. By the way, I I think his true to life yeah. character is very complex, and nobody really knows like like uh, how he felt. Was he guilty? Was he not? Was he doing it for show? Was he was he really? I think that's the thing about him. Was he's kind of a very complex, sending mixed signals at times. Um, which and, they do dramatize yeah. from members members on his team say that and, very thing and that's what I'm talking about. We know that people feel that way about him. And the, and the movie he, people say life, that he wasn't he wasn't a vocal person that said those things in real life. The, 
it would be a better, more interesting movie on the surface if they just added that in. And <laughs> he said stuff. Yeah, right. And but the, I, you know, I think the movie is trying to honor that and make it ambiguous and let us decide, much like the world has to decide. You know, it's like it's not saying this is how Oppenheimer was. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to let you in on the secret. I'm going to reveal it. But my thing is, I think it was. I, I read a review. Um, I think that script script shadow didn't, you know, script shadow the website. He didn't like <laughs> this movie either. He doesn't like anything though. And I remember I read a review you like from Gruber. No, it's kidding. He probably did. <laughs> he, probably did. Um, he he hates all almost everything though, which is okay. always, you know. But he he said that. Um, but I like this point he made. He said, uh, and, and this is what I mean. Like in a documentary, that's fine. Like I watched the documentary and it was presented linearly. So, you know, then it goes into Oppenheimer's later life and how he was, you know, tried to stop the H-bomb and how he eventually was weeded out of politics and then got awards anyway. And, you know, it that was fine. That's a documentary and I'm fine with it in the documentary. But it, this is a movie and this is a movie that's heavily manipulative of events. Um, and to point to a great documentary that's heav heavily manipulated even though it's long form, the Michael Jordan documentary a few years back, like that jumped all around and it was, it would start at one place and jump to another. And it was really well done. Um, and, but anyway, back to script shadow, like script shadow said, imagine if Rocky had the fight, but still had another hour. And the next hour was somebody hit, screwing him out of a marketing deal or something. I don't know. So I don't, he didn't <laughs> Rocky, say that. I don't think that's a good comparison to this story. That's to me what it felt like. This a little is bit. literally, this, like, this has the, this has like the heaviness of changing the entire world that exactly. we actually live in. So, so when the Rocky doesn't have, that, but when sorry, the nuclear you know. bomb went off, that changed the world. And then we still have 50 minutes to kind of, yeah, yeah. Cause that we know that changed the world. That was the start of the chain reaction. So to acknowledge that in 10 minutes, fine. Spend 50 minutes talking about a um, bureaucratic manipulation that, that because a guy was um, embarrassed, really, that was the drive of it. And, and we were talking about things like Russian collusion and stuff like that, things that didn't matter compared to the grand scheme of the fact that we started the chain reaction that will ultimately destroy the world. That's my thing. That's my thing. It's like this Do you part. Think that's a symptom of it being a POV story because I, the book was like that. I, and because it, it's about Hoppenheimer, it's not about the bomb. Technically, it, it's about the strange. Him. The strange thing is, yes, I do think it's a symptom of what's the story about him. The strange mm -hmm. thing is he's nonlinear jumping around for the whole movie. But then that's when he chooses to get linear and just coast. Yeah. And that's the part where I'm like, to me, it didn't. It just didn't work as well. Like I was like, okay, fifty minutes. Uh, Jimmy Robert Downey. Okay, 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 okay. And then, um, and then I go back to why I believe that I'm diagnosing your emotional response is because the the story DNA for those individual framing devices is not like well constructed is what I'm saying. There's not a hero with a goal and an obstacle and stakes the way there is on the flashback right the flashback is all a very not like linear arc plot we got to gather the team and build the bomb and make the bomb and now the bomb goes off it's very arc plot hollywood story I, but then you get to these mm -hmm. framing devices then they're not what? and because it 
work yeah, so yeah. well on the past storyline, those other ones, they don't mesh with it is what I'm I, saying. Yeah. Here's here's another example I could give. Yeah, is, I mean, I don't agree. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously. I think yeah. a great movie could be made from just that part. Like after the bomb, we start there, you know, and it's yeah. Oppenheimer and blah, blah, blah. I think you can make a great movie. Lincoln is a good example. That's about the amendment passing. But imagine right. if the first two hours of Lincoln were about him winning the Civil War. Blood and death and this and that. And he's the leader and blah, blah, blah. And then we go for another 50 minutes of him doing a trial to win the thing. Where he already won the big thing. Where he already shifted the world. I don't know if I would hate that either. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's I, you, know what, you know what my favorite David Fincher movie is? Is Zodiac. And Zodiac... It ends. I don't know if you guys have seen Zodiac. I love but Zodiac. Yeah, Zodiac just ends with no, no. I mean, it's one of the most unsatisfying <laughs> movies. Uh, like you know, it's a lot of people love it, but a lot of people don't like Zodiac because it's just yeah, they didn't. They didn't Nothing's find out who, resolved. Like, yeah, it's resolved, and it leaves it up to the audience of what happened here. I I'll say this. I I feel like that about the last fifty minutes for me. Kind okay, of, it's 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 more almost about the audience and ch- telling us the truth because remember there's a part in the movie where Oppenheimer says, is anyone going to be left to tell the truth of what happened here? I feel like the last 50 minutes kind of was that it, it was Nolan trying to do that. I, does that make sense? Yeah, I, it does. does. I, yeah. I think like, I, and I, I, that's why I kind of dug about it. I, I'm not, but I'm, it's, as far as a structure conversation, I understand what you guys I, are saying. To, to me, it's more, it's more about the composition of it all. Um, yeah. I like the storyline in it. I, I think it's, I, I like knowing that piece of information. I like hearing the big picture. I just think my problem is how it's balanced. Like it's, gotcha. it's how the portion, everything I've been. Yeah. I no, it could be. I think it could be edited. So the all crescendos at the same time. It's I weird. Think. It's weird to me be because Bob, when you describe what you just described about what you enjoy about it is like the truth behind it. Right. To me, that feels like the point of it all. And I do yeah. enjoy learning about it on its own, but fit mm-hmm. in with all of this the it, way it, it's executed I, doesn't I, taste I, right I, to me. I just feel realized how I feel about it. It's like going to dinner and you have your appetizer and it's really good. And then you have your meal and they bring you out this great dessert. And then they go, and here's a turkey. And I'm like, <laughs> what the? I, I, I have my dessert. I got a turkey. I got to eat a turkey. <laughs> And I'd like a turkey. I turkey mean, is quite the good, though. Turkey tastes good. It just didn't taste <laughs> yeah. good after I ate my full meal. It's, really, it's a turducken, man, because it's got I another meal in there. Yeah. yeah. But but if you balance the turkey in with the rest, this is what I'm saying. If you balance it out and you bring the turkey out the right time. You just you got a nice full belly. Yeah, there's, no, it's, there's a way to do it. That, that's all I mean, I'm saying, and that's why I do without, like the movie. Uh, it's just I feel like you could. I feel like it's the editing thing, man. I think you could edit the movie in a way that it would all crescendo at the same time, and it would be more gripping for everybody. Still, three hours. <laughs> but but by the way, these biopics are one of the hardest things to write. So I don't necessarily fault him. Like I don't. I'm not like this is lazy writing. This is bad writing. These are really really hard to do. They're hard to pull off, and I think that's why it still ends up in my top 10 out of 15. Um, I think also I admit my opinion's a bit weird because for me, the bomb is not as gripping, you know, I think, and it goes again, real life stuff. Like Jamie said earlier, I know exactly what's going to happen there. Sure. So to me, there's actually an aspect of like, all right, yeah, it's going to go off and it's all that's not going to happen. Let me know what the fallout was. And I'm so 
in a weird way, I'm almost more interested in after the bomb. Yeah, because you don't, you don't like, know it. It's new. I, I know the, the yeah. before the bomb stuff. So I'm like, Makes that's sense. kind of the maybe I showed up for that movie, yeah. the turkey. Yeah, I showed up for the turkey and not the regular meal more so in my mind because I'm like, yeah, get to the bomb going I, off. We got it. Wait, it's gonna the, weird, the ship's gonna fucking sink Titanic. We get it. The, yeah. the, weir- you know? the weird thing about <laughs> me know? is, uh, especially with biopics, I like. Um, and somebody told me this once, like that I read their script and um, I gave them notes. I actually like process. Like I would have liked more about how the bomb works. I would have liked to have been educated more about that. They really stayed away from that. I thought they gave you just enough. So we're not going to bore you with, I would sit there for a quantum physics lesson. Like that's the way, like I I like when the big short or something really tries to explain, like here's how the subprime and they try to break it down in a way I understand. I love that. They they, they like do like the slightest bit, but it's not one of my favorite exposition scenes, by the way. I, I love yeah. I love that, but I've given notes on that before, and I've had people say, "Yeah, I don't think people like the process how to do something in a script." And I'm like, even though it's real, right. it might come off as you know? uh, double mumbo jumbo, you know? Yeah. And I, even though it's real yeah. for the audience, it's like, dude, yeah, <laughs> get I past the physics. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I kind of want to like go out and feel like I'm an expert on like how the bomb works, yeah, yeah. but not. I know that's not for everybody. So you know, it's everybody's different taste. Some people are might be into the you know, shady government doing shady things and the backroom drama. And I get that too. I mean, that can be a fun story too. I'm kind of there for how did they build this thing in a, in a town, a team, it's almost like a heist movie to me or something. They built a team and they did the thing and they did the, there's a ticking clock and that's, and you know, I get that the movie's about him and that's one chapter in his larger life, a big chapter, but one chapter in his larger life. So these movies are not easy to it's pull out. Yeah, yeah, that's really it's hard I, to like to juggle all this and, <laughs> and it's real and you have and again, integrity. I think it's like I think fuck. I think that's why um when I left this movie, I you know, I was charged up to go find out more. And honestly, I didn't find out much more. The movie gave me almost everything about him. There's only a little bit more to find out because the movie did a really, really good job of giving you that big picture of him. That, so that's important to me too, in a weird way with this. It's like I'd rather the movie kind of cover everything mm-hmm. yeah. as a piece yeah. than be uh, as like a poppin', you know, save the cat Hollywood thing. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's part of me that's like, hey, do, just do I, it all. Give it to me in this giant chunk. It's not always going to be as sharp as it could be, but I'm happy it's all there. I, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's nice that it's like, if you want to know about Oppenheimer, you can actually watch this Absolutely. movie it's and a, walk away with something. I do like that. You, you can walk not, away with something. It's perfectly structured. Yeah, and it's not like everybody's going to raise their hand and say, that's not the real story or anything. It's it's <laughs> right, it's right, pretty right. it's a pretty good job of what it did. And then you can be like, it's hey, a monster to write. I mean, like it yeah. is, a, you know, it is. But yeah, I don't want to. I wasn't trying to invalidate anything you were saying about structure. I, I get it. I get what you're saying. If the bomb going off was at the end, yes. <laughs> I think if, it's a broad, it's a bold choice to have it not go off in the end. I do. Yeah, it is kind of a big swing, right? Yeah, like, I think it is. Yeah, and and I I'm sure him and anyone that likes the movie would argue just like you are, Bob, that it's not about the bomb. It's about the guy and the guy, this is the big picture and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, and I, and the guy is weird. I, my the own, guy is, the guy <laughs> himself is fucking and, weird. And this right? is, it's really me rewriting, you know, after the fact, but yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my only thing is I agree with all of that. I think it is about him and I like all the stuff they put in it. I just want it 
that the meal thing that rebalance yeah a yeah, yeah. Bit. I, I think 50 mm-hmm. minutes of that was just too long after the emotional high point of the thing it's funny that i'm the one arguing for the movie uh, <laughs> i love a it fucking no an annoying no, episode what great. a weird i fucking i love when i love when we disagree it's great yeah but me arguing for nolan is so odd it's just like basically i want to see the topher grace re-edit of oppenheimer yes it's like 90 minutes have his way tight 90 minutes (laughs) i mean you know if you just cut out the bomb making part Mm -hmm. and just made that a 90 minute movie without all the other errata it's it's a good like tv movie yeah i think so (laughs) you know what i mean it's a good meat and potatoes movie yeah i think so yeah you got a mission, everything. Just fucking put the team together. It's a sports movie, right? Can we do it? Can we make the playoffs? Yep. yep. <laughs> I, I, the weird thing is, I think you could make two movies out of this. I think you could make the building the nuclear bomb triumph movie mm-hmm. in some weird way. Um, uh, and I think you could also do the opposite, which is like after the nuclear bomb, the we had the triumph, but really it wasn't a triumph at all. And I... I think he managed to do a rise and fall movie in some ways, which is another common biopic yeah. thing. You know, there's the positive times. There's kind of the uplifting times. We're going to win the day. We're going to save the world. But then there's the negative consequence of that. And I think that's what he was trying to do. Because if you just did the rah-rah, the bomb, we did it kind of thing, then it would ring true to all of us that know the consequences, the modern-day Prometheus aspect of it. So it wouldn't work, you know, mm-hmm. it just wouldn't work. So it's also just a lot of real life roadblocks. If you want to be accurate, you know, like I, they deal with his, you know, he's Jewish. we got World War Two Hitler. He like he is motivated by actually that mm-hmm. per, on a personal level. The movie. It doesn't do the best job of showing us that I agree like his yes. passion for that, yes. but also I feel like it's accurate to oppenheimer's actual person right yeah i agree he's such a non-expressive man you know what i mean he'll say a sentence and yeah that's not a recipe for emotionally engaging story no it's not no (laughs) i guess i guess that's what i was trying to like say is like we're gonna write a story about a guy who doesn't emote but he also did the thing that changed the entire world Mm -hmm. so it's like you're making the story about the guy who changed earth Mm -hmm. forever the ones that me and you and all of us live in mm-hmm. forever. We could die at any moment and be incinerated. Yeah. But the guy is also like a non-emotive dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's like fighting with like, what was this guy like versus what it's, kind of movie you want to make? Yeah. I guess I'm saying I can give it a lot. Right. Of I got more cachet. Makes because, sense. Because you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean it's him. even, even something like, not talking about structure, just him himself. Like I understand that this guy was like this. It's, it's that whole thing where you say, you if know? you put that in the screenplay, nobody would believe it. Like, like him poisoning yeah, yeah. the people in the beginning. It's a weird, which might not have happened. That's yeah, still, it's yeah. there, but there are elements that are probably, you're something like it, or there's a weirdness back there, but it's, it's a nice parallel to the bomb itself yep. and everything, you know, it's, it's that, that's yeah. like maybe the most Hollywood little thing, right? Like the parallel between the apple and yes. The, and then you it's got the very, apple representing, it's, it's a very, it's the escalation, you know, it's the, the apple little, representing yeah. the ultimate sin of <laughs> yes. man, you know, yes. I mean, like you got all that stuff in there. That may be the most Hollywood part, you know? And I don't know when I learned about Adams, the way I was taught was through an apple. So it was like right, it was right, very New- specific. You got, yeah, you got Newton in there too with yeah, the apple. You yeah. know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff in there. You yeah, know? 
it was the the uh, right choice premise specific yes it's a very yeah and it's in the book so they're not like they weren't making up for the movie it's in the book but in the book it's also maybe fabricated it's like not it works well jamie you might know that i don't yeah um, i I think i remember reading like it's it's not that it's fabricated but the details aren't that specific i think i don't remember what they were but it's not like you know what I, you know what I mean? Like it's like his like grandson denies that it happened right, or something. Right. The family denies like that it maybe happened. he got accused of it or something, but mm, it's maybe it's not. Yeah, yeah I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but you're absolutely right that that was something that they sort of made more concrete than it really was. But maybe. But that's like, nice. but embellishing that works so well for the movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you guys want to talk about five point fun and games? I believe that's where we are. I yeah, think that's yeah, where yeah. we are. That's where we are, right? Yeah. So this is just super quick because I did kind of, when I watched this movie, I think about it, even though the structure is so weird that I'm not sure what the fun and games really is or what the midpoint is because it's all kind of messed up in some ways, uh, in in good ways. Um, it's shuffled around, I should say. Um, but one thing I, I came up with this idea, a lot of people have trouble writing the fun and game section and, and save the cat, the fun and game section is the beginning of the second act. It's the first half of the second act. It's usually like, is it 30% of your movie or something like that usually? It's a big long section that's in kind of the the early first half of your movie. Um, and a lot of people get stuck on it. And we've talked about it before where a lot of people that I know just write a montage and think they're done. Like It's like, I did the montage. You know, I did... <laughs> Training montage. Slap an '80s song on there, you're good to go. Well, yeah. and, and, and well, well, you do often see montages in there, especially in in like a Rocky movie or something where there's training or getting ready or or something, um, driving or whatever it is, dating. Uh, there's often a montage in there. Um, it's usually more than a montage. But the funny thing is, I've heard people level a criticism at this movie, or even I think this is in the John August interview that they had on ScriptNets. Where they said the 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 kind of the bomb part is kind of like a mont the movie is a montage <laughs> like it's like it's like so fast and it keeps you know going from thing to thing that's like a montage, um, but the five point uh, the five point funning games is taking an idea from Save the Cat the five point finale which we've talked about once or twice, and as a strategy so I, I don't think every movie checks this box. I don't even think this movie necessarily checks this box, but I'm going to use it as an example of how to think about funny games. Um, if, if, if you're really stuck on funny games and don't know what to do. And uh, my suggestion is you take the story DNA. So the hero goal, obstacle and stakes of your log line. Um, so in this case, if we assume that the log line is more the flashback story, which probably is how it's pitched to an extent, which is like, um, Oppenheimer must lead a team to build the most powerful weapon ever made before the Germans do it first and win the war or something like that. Right. If you take that as the log line, um, and, and then you don't mix in necessarily. Not too different from Indiana Jones and the, and the lost yeah, no, right. in, in fact, in fact, when yeah. I was watching last night and the people came to talk to him, it, I couldn't help but think about when the people come and interrupt Indy's day at the school to talk to him. And I was, I was almost wondering if when they wrote Raiders, if they had that in mind in some yeah. way, like in a weird sort of way, but I, a race um, to beat the Nazis. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. help, but for a world dominating 
weapon yeah. thing. And they, right. they come to a professor, you know, an educated person, a knowledgeable uh, person to help them win the war in their military and their government and all the other stuff. It's kind of interesting. We've done Raiders too, by the way, anyone listening. Yes, to yes, you can go check it's it all, out. Yeah. So, the, so if you assume that's the goal and stakes, um, the five-point finale is um, gather the team, execute the plan, high tower surprise, dig down deep, and execution of the new plan. They're your five points. Um, but I think it works in funny games too. And I think that's why you see the montages because a lot of times in the gathering the team, that's like a montage. So in this case, you have Oppenheimer and he gathers the team. He 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 has to recruit people, right? He has to- It's amazing how like simple it is too. You know, it's like pulled off just like a 90s sports movie. Almost. It, it's yeah. very, very much like a sports movie, like a heist movie. Um, yeah. Uh, like, like a golden fleece as we talk about the yeah. genres. Um, so he, he builds the town, you know, he, mm-hmm. he plans who's going to do what, you know, it's all that kind of stuff. It's like, he's, he's kind of breaking down the divisions, um, executing the plan. They start to build it. They realize, you know, and a lot of this is kind of intellectual. This is the part I like, which I, I wish they did more of, but it's the marbles and the, in the fishbowl, what a great device. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's on my list. That, uh, it's on my list. I hope that was later. real. Yeah. I hope that uh, really happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the marbles. I have a feeling that didn't happen, but I don't know. I have a feeling yeah. that was like it might be in the book. Christopher you Noah. might know you get yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll, you know, maybe. Um, so the um the marbles in the fishbowl, you know, the discussion of how to do it, how to get around obstacles, um, how to get around compartmentalization, having to get around compartmentalization, all that kind of stuff, dealing with the mm-hmm. government, all this stuff is executing the plan. Um, this part, I'm going to fudge a little bit because it's really hard to tell what the all you know where things go. But let's say the the roadblock. I call it the plan roadblock as opposed to the high tower surprise. So usually there's, and this is the big thing. So if you're doing a fun and games, come up with the plan, have them do the plan, but then throw a roadblock in their way. In your in your fun and games, in, in my case, I targeted like the war with Germany ends. That's kind of a roadblock, right? So then they go into this scenario where it's uh oh, now what I call it, which is the dig down deep. Um, but in fun and games, they haven't arced yet, so I just call it now what. Um, so in this case, they you know they kind of discuss, they decide why the, you know Japan is still dangerous, and you know everything there. So then they execute the new plan. And I think the execution of the new plan, which is testing the bomb, using it, I think that takes us into the midpoint. And then the bad guys close in, in this case. It doesn't really shake out the middle, whether it's a midpoint or not, because again, the way it's structured, it has a very long setup. This movie has like a 50 minute setup and then it has 50 minutes in the end. And then kind of this flashback scene is sandwiched in the middle. Um, but it, it kind of it kind of works out. I, I think that if you look at the midpoint as being when they do the bomb, when they drop the bomb, the bad guys close in as kind of the repercussions and the psychological damage to Oppenheimer, maybe the world, you know, the scars of it. And then, you know, the rest of the movie kind of gets more into the modern day story and stuff like that. So anyway, I think it's a great parallel for uh, how to a great example for how to use the fun and game. I wouldn't have expected the five point fun and games to show up in Oppenheimer, but Oppenheimer. It does. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so much fun in so many games. Yeah, yeah so Jesus, games. the not so fun yeah. in games. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yep. So I, I, th- I think the biggest takeaway is 
the gathering the team and the execution of the plan, if you're, you know, that's probably where your montage stuff may happen or it might feel that way. It might be that stuff. But throw in the plan roadblock um, and then continue on. So don't feel like you're done after gathering the team and executing the plan. Throw something in the way that then they have to shift to plan B before they get to the midpoint. That's, that's I think, the big strategy here. And again, not all movies, just a strategy if you're brainstorming your idea. Very cool. Um, debating the agenda. Who's yeah, this, this? is what this, is this one's this one's yeah. mine. So so okay. okay. Uh, I want I want to breeze through it because we got we got a lot to talk about still. Um, so when you have for all my complaints about the framing device wraparounds, people not talking about the goals and the and the obstacles and the stakes and the deadline, I feel like one thing this movie does very well is debating the the overall agenda of creating the bomb and then you know launching the bomb right and so when i'm reading scripts a lot of the time uh this is what's missing we have we might have all of the necessary ingredients for a great story the story dna that that jamie talks about a lot you know hero goal obstacle stakes um and a deadline to achieve it but we never get scenes where people are talking about it like like, oh shit, here's what happens if we fail. Here's what we can gain if we succeed. Here's the deadline to do those things. This movie does a great job of giving us a wide variety of debates around this topic. Like you have the debate with his friend who's just talking about the justice of it all, right? He's like, you drop a bomb and it falls on the just and the unjust. I don't wish the culmination of three centuries of physics to be a weapon of mass destruction. And Oppenheimer says, I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon, but I know the Nazis can't, so we have no choice. That's a great way to express what the character is feeling about the agenda and the task at hand and the stakes for failing, right? Um, and there's, it there's, really justifies to the audience why you would ever exactly right, and in, you know, in why you would do and in a story you need these moments where there is a debate about the agenda and you need to continuously have them as the story unfolds to give us status updates about how the character is feeling about the situation as it continues to get they continue to get either closer or farther. If you were making a if you're making a Jurassic Park prequel, you'd have to have this. That kind oh of about them with and the be, yeah with the mosquito yeah. and the yeah and you have the, to have a, like that line of why why they went if you, yeah. if the movie was about the creation of the dinosaurs this yeah is what we got that's a great and there is an oppenheimer reference in jurassic park by the way i just remember that <laughs> so i didn't yeah. remember but but there's a great debate with einstein yeah. right he's like uh oppenheimer says when we detonate an atomic device we might start a chain reaction that destroys the world and einstein right, right. says stop share your findings with the Nazis. So neither side destroys the world, you know, like that's a who, who better to debate that's for the audience, you know, the stakes about this situation and the pressure than fucking Einstein. It's, 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 no, it's I think that's, it's where the movie really sings. Yeah. So Einstein I think if you stuff like that, that's so good. I think if you can learn, if, if there's one thing you can definitely learn as a screenwriter from this movie, it's the way the movie does successfully handle those debates and help you connect with the emotional side of this whole agenda of building the bomb. They have a great many different characters from different perspectives at that time. Basically, 
hashing it out with Oppenheimer about how they they all feel, you know, and and I think it's just a great screenwriting technique. You need to have these debates about your agenda. So it's a quick one. I also think that plays that plays into uh, some of his character as well. We'll get to that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like knowing exactly like the how the depths of the danger of what you're doing and what this man is like actually accomplishing. It, it like, gives context to the yeah. choices that yeah. he makes. Yes. Right. Yes. It, it, yeah. You, like it it's really, necessary. Really touches him out. Yeah. 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 Would you ever want to talk again if you did that? <laughs> no, know. you're to your point, I, you Bob. Know, <laughs> I don't know if I knew I would destroy the world potentially. I don't know. Yeah, to your point. Nobody wants to hear what I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, this is agenda checkpoints and hourglasses. Is that it's on the like, same topic? But I, I kind of, yeah, I want, I wanted. This is another one I wanted to give props to Nolan. This is me mm-hmm. giving props to the script um, for all my problems with with it. Um, the so a really on the same kind of mindset when you have an agenda when when you're writing a script where a hero has an agenda um and you've create you need to create a deadline and and how appropriate in this movie about building a bomb that there's just like one deadline after another we get oh we got this much time left we got this much time and yeah jamie's right they they kind of go back and forth between that but i do feel like there's constant urgency and i think that the reason is because of what these things I call hourglasses and, and what that is, it's basically like a shortcut to give the audience a measurable deadline update. Like this is how much sand is left in the hourglass. Right. Um, and a, and it's easy to understand example of this concept is the disappearing family photo and back to the future. Right. That's, that's what I call an hourglass. Every single time we see that photo, more sand has come from that hourglass. There's less time and we can, we can, instantly understand a very complex idea that he has this much time left until he can achieve the goal or else he's going to disappear right <laughs> what better way to do that um and it it's not a clock right and so these are ticking clock mechanisms that create urgency it's sort of a clock it's, it's not yeah clock. <laughs> <laughs> right it functions yeah. like a clock it makes you feel yeah, time yeah, yeah. is running out or we're getting in this case we're kind of, you know, we feel the tent, we know the bad thing that's going to happen. So we're feeling tension around it. And this movie does a great example of giving you lots of deadline updates without talking about a clock. So the example you guys gave the goldfish bowl, that's an hourglass. So like, it's almost exactly an hourglass, right? Like it's, they're like it's really big sand. They, yeah. expl- <laughs> they explain this really complex idea. The bomb needs 30. It's a third. It's going to be a 33 pound spear with plutonium. And we need to, we need this much plutonium to, to power the bomb. And once we get it, we can make it right. And, and so the movie gives you like several updates where we just see that bowl. No one says anything, but the bowl keeps getting filled with marbles and we feel like, oh shit, we're getting closer. We're getting closer to this bomb going off and it creates urgency and tension. And then, and then once the bot, once the bowl is filled up, they move to a new technique, which is they actually show you pieces of the silver spear and we keep getting updates as the, the building, spear the is getting bigger yeah. and and it, it functions just like the glass bowl it's an hourglass we're feeling that tension the deadline is getting closer and then once the sphere is constructed then they go to the um to they switch to the bomb test and they show you like 
a bomb test that's small. Then they show you a bomb test that's a little bigger. Then they show you a bomb test that's a little bigger, right? This The force keeps, so you feel like, oh shit. Like, so it's another hourglass where we feel the deadline is getting closer. And then they move to the construction of the tower. We keep cutting back to the tower. We get a scene, then we cut back to the tower and it's a little taller. And we know that when that tower is full, that's where they're putting the bomb. So and then the storm the storm is another one right like here comes the bomb and bam the storm hits and it delays the test but we feel urgency every time we see that storm we're like oh shit like like when is it going to happen so this movie just does a great job of using those 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 shortcuts to create urgency without anybody saying anything nobody needs to say a word and it's not a clock but you feel the time that it that it's meant for you to tell so this is another great thing you can learn from the script and it does have the benefit of like everything that the urgency is about in every possible way. The audience doesn't want to happen. Right. Right. Even I don't want though the bomb, you know, I don't want right. the Nazis to win. I don't want the bomb mm -hmm. to be made. I don't want, you know what I mean? You don't because want anything of those to debates that we had. We had in, uh, yeah, you yeah, know, 50 right. minutes of debates. It's, you know? it's all bad. Yeah. Is, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's all working up to bad. Yeah. Um, handshakes. Who's, yeah. I've talked about handshakes? this in a couple episodes, so I'm going to, I'm going to breathe. I'm going to breathe through this one too. Cause I want to get to the big talk at the end here. Um, so, okay. so this is another, this is another shortcut that you can use. So, okay. You've got a relationship in your story, even though I made complaints about the handling of the relationship. This is something I like in the script about the relationship. You've got your two characters, right? And you've got like 90 pages of story and you're only going to get two or three scenes with these characters together. How do you make it so right. the audience can instantly connect with this relationship? It's the hand, the literal version of that is like the handshake and big between him and his friend, like my biscuit, a biscuit. Um, uh, <laughs> um, I wish that was an Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, but uh, a, a very classic example of it is E.T. Andrew Barrymore's character, Gertie. She teaches him to say, be good. And then that's their every, you know, they have three big moments where then he says, be good to her. And then when they're leaving, when he's leaving the planet, he tells her, be good. And we have this instant connection and it uses that handshake to show us, to help the audience track how the relationship is changing and how the character situation is changing over the course of the story. They just use that repetition of that handshake. Um, and I think Oppenheimer for its three hour running time there he's he's problem solving this right he's going like mm -hmm. shit like i got all these characters and all these relationships how do i keep the audience uh connected with them right and so he uses handshakes there's 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 three easy to easy to learn from examples of handshakes in this movie and that is uh oppie and and tatlock the uh, what is her name? I always forget. From Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh's uh, character's name is Tatlock. Oppie brings Tatlock flowers and she immediately throws them in the garbage. And that is a running gag with them. Every single scene with them, he brings her flowers <laughs> and she throws them in the trash. And there's even, she's like, you didn't bring me flowers. And he pulls a flower out of his jacket and she throws it away immediately. Right. And, and so yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a, that's a handshake that using a thing and a scenario that we instantly connect with their relationship. And it helps us remember how we felt about the last scene with them and how we want to feel about their outcome together. So that's an example. Uh, Oppie and his wife, Kitty's code, for good news or bad news, take in the sheets. Don't take in the sheets. There's there's the repetition of the phone call and the take in the sheets when something good yep. happens. Don't take in the sheets when something bad happens. So that's another example of a handshake 
that like when it's said, we can instantly connect with how things are progressing or regressing for the relationship and the characters. Um, and then there's another one with his brother, Frank, when his brother, Frank says that he's getting married, uh, Op- Oppie doesn't like, uh, isn't impressed with the woman he wants to marry, but he says to his brother, if you're happy, I'm happy. And then in the end, when, f- you know, they don't really get much screen time together, the brother and Oppie amidst the story, but uh, how they make us feel a connection in the end with his brother is they bring back that handshake at the Lifetime Achievement Awards ceremony. Um, when his brother hands him the award, he whispers, whisp- we know that Oppenheimer is really like melancholy about getting this award, of course. And then his brother says to him, if you're happy, I'm happy. You know, I'm there, happy. There's that right. handshake. So this is, it's just, that's a very, it's a very simple technique. And uh, I think Nolan uses it well in this movie. Did you name this technique? Yeah, this is just my name. It's oh, uh, I like no, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Because you're basing it off big, sort of. <laughs> I like it. You were yeah. you reminded me of a spot that I watched this movie three times now, and there's one spot that kind of I I hang on a little bit, and it's when he calls when they say, you know, Oppenheimer called. He said to take down the sheets. Yeah, and it's I don't. It's just like. After what we've seen, it's just such a because we already know, and it's like that's where it ends. Like it's some big moment, like da da da. <laughs> I'm just like, really? That's where? It, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that, that, every time I watch it, I'm just like, see, I huh? actually like it because I know what it's I doing. I kind of like and, it, and, yeah, and I, I, like I it. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just feels like it's after the fact. Like it's like, why are we tacking on this? They, extra... they sort of had that sh- that scene with the laundry earlier. They did too. Yeah, like. Yeah, they kind of they kind of said but it. Yeah, I think they did. I get what you're saying. It's, it's a very it's a capper to something moment. that's already been capped. Is the thing. Yeah, it's like yeah. My it, it, I don't know. It was weird to me. Every time I watch it, I'm just like, that's weird. My I, take. I, my the theory is yeah. there's stuff that didn't make it in the final cut with those sheets. So the, more the sheets, stuff with that. So to me, that sheet thing would make more sense if we never saw the result of the bomb, like the cheap <laughs> version of this movie. You know what I mean? And we ah, couldn't afford gotcha. it. So take down the sheets was yeah. the big dramatic. Oh my god, the world's changed. But instead, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, lady, we saw it blow up, and you know, you know, it's I don't know, it's weird. <laughs> Or, or somehow, like... I wonder if that was real, too. It probably was. It probably was. Like, they actually had that. Yeah. That makes that. it probably even better. Was. Yeah. yeah my, my, I mean, we do this in life, right? This is how we've, we have bonds with people. Shit yeah. like my, this. My justification know? was that's why it, it was in there. was because it was real, and he liked it so much, they just left it in. Because yeah. I, keep, I keep thinking... You know, it'd be one thing if, like, they had a big debate, and she was like... This will change the world. We'll be dead. And you saw it in her face, like da da da. It's like instead, it's like he did it, you know. But and we already knew he did it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's for some reason every time that's the scene that I'm always like, that's, I cut that. It's weird. I like that. That's the thing. That it is. Out. It is. It always pops to me. I'm like, nah, I don't know. Our last talking point is the big one, I guess. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that you call him Oppie so much. Well, that's what in everybody movie. in the movie calls. I him. know it still sounds funny for as serious as the subject matter is calling him Oppie is funny to me. Does Oppie arc? We kind of touched this a little bit already, we a did. little bit. I, but I call him Doctor Octopus. <laughs> Doctor Octopus. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. I guess for me, I'll say this: uh, it ends with him admitting guilt. Right? It's an admission of guilt. Uh, 
but it doesn't just end with him admitting guilt. There's like most of the end of the movie is him just being guilty. I feel right. Like, and I guess for me, camera. like he kind of, I don't know that to me, that's not like a revelation. Like, it seems like he already knows he's guilty for most of the runtime. Mm-hmm. And for me, so I'm like, Oh, it's like a serial killer being like, yeah, I kill people. Um, Like, yep, yeah, I am a killer. Like, it's kind of like a no shit. You created a bomb. Like we've been talking about this for two hours. <laughs> you created a bomb that's going to end the world. And so for me, that guilt isn't like a change. It's more just like an admission of something he's been feeling for a long time. So that's why I was like, what do you guys think about it? How does it connect with you? Uh, Jamie, do you got something you want? I can go. I can you, go. You can go. I mean, I, okay. I, I don't really have too much for this. For for this, um, I think to, not to bring it back to the apple, but you know the beginning of the movie, his youth with the apple, uh, that's a good. It's really good to me because it says he he often does things without thinking. He often mm-hmm. is re- reacting emotionally, and he and he reacts fast, and you know just willy nilly at times. Like what were you thinking? It, like you're gonna poison someone <laughs> like to and kill them because of you know because of what he said. Um, by the end of the movie, as we've already said. Um, he's not that guy. That guy is dead. Essentially, the the kid that poisoned that apple over what somebody said to him, what somebody you know, that that, that that's gone. Now it took literally possibly destroying the whole world to get there, but I don't think he is a reactive character that would do brash things ever again. And I think that reads in that last fifty minutes. I think that you tracks I mean? when you put it that think, way. His yeah. old way definitely is a is guy gone. is that he would never be that guy again yeah i don't think he would ever cheat on his wife again and stuff unless i'm wrong there about reality i don't think like all his like you know uh i don't know just of the moment emotions and actions seem to have been crushed down under the weight of his actual guilt and he is a truly a different man like the guy like we always say the guy at the end of the movie, would he do the things at the beginning? No, in this case, absolutely not. I think you're right. That That's apple would point. never happen again. That's Nothing like that would ever happen. He probably would never endanger another human being's life again. You know? Yeah. And also, like, the, you know, the... Yeah. Well, that, that's yeah, yeah. That's good. That's I, think, well, I don't know if I can expand on that. No, anymore, you yeah. said it. You yeah. helped me get to that. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. think you're and right. It, yeah. There's definitely moments of learning, like, when he's imagining, you know, the impact of the of the weapon of, of, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, growing yeah. pains. And, yep. And, and so that stuff definitely lingers with him. Um, I in in a weird sort of way, you know, going back to my criticism, I think that's another weird part of the last fifty minutes. Is I don't think he changes over the last fifty minutes. I think no, I would is, agree there too. And that, and that so that also tells me we're kind of at a just sort of you know we're at the end of the story. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know that. It, I also think that Nolan is doing this thing where he's kind of letting us figure out what he really thinks. Like, we don't know if he's kind of proud of what he did, guilty of what he did. or so. I, I think there is something ambiguous about him um, that he's hard to, to parse. I mean, we, we kind of project our own opinions on what we're seeing in, the, in this movie. So I'm not sure that the character arc is as dramatic. The, the- that third act is where the ambiguity really feels like it comes into play. It does. Because Oppenheimer's not a good person. 
right? I mean, I don't know. Like the movie, that's where the movie is like almost asking us to decide. Like Jamie's saying, yeah. like he's, but I don't think the movie's ever saying he's I, a good person, even though we're with him this whole time. I, I, you know, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm always projecting on him that he's just, he kind of did what he did. And there's lots of justifications. At one point, he said, you know, I'm more scared that the Germans will get it first. And that's, that's a great yeah, justification yeah, yeah. that he says. But I'm always like, I think he's a man of science, sort of. And he did it because he could. You know what I mean? Like he, not to bring Jurassic Park. Yeah. Back into yeah. It, I, I honestly think yeah. that's why he did it. You know, that, and the Jurassic Park definitely has its, it's yeah. uh, inspiration from this to an extent, not this movie, but Oppenheimer <laughs> for real. Um, but he's a guy that did his job well. And it turns out that that job was just the most horrible. Yeah. Thing. He had yeah. To, he had to, <laughs> yeah. He had to yeah. take his kind of brilliance to the ultimate conclusion. That was just the path he was set on. And, um, I, that's, that's my projection on his character when I watch him, like in everything, my projection on his character, this doesn't mean anything really is that everything else is kind of justification for that. But that's kind of, and, and he may have changed after the fact, like maybe he did regret and realize some of these things that I'm saying after the fact, but that's my projection on him. Like he was a, this was almost like an inevitable cor- course and I think- uh, of somebody like him. I think there's um, some interplay there with Einstein himself because mm-hmm. yeah. um, Einstein, like through through Oppie, mm-hmm. we see the same arc in Einstein. Einstein realizes that the things he he discovered led to this, which is going to lead to the end of the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's a reflection. You know, and it's kind of a, sure. it's a reflection of that too. So that kind of helps with the arc, right? Like Einstein has his own really tiny arc in this movie, it's obviously a, in real it's life. It's a much bigger ghost of Christmas past or future yeah. or whatever you want to right. say. Yeah. Right. Yes. Exactly. Like yeah. all great agents of change are. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I mean, this is a hard question, isn't it? Yeah. That's why I brought it. <laughs> Did the actual guy arc? <laughs> I, <laughs> I would think so. I feel like to give this question a really, really good answer. I'd almost have to watch the whole thing again just for this question. Just you know? for the yeah. growing pains, the before yeah. world, the the before snapshot, after snapshot, and growing pains in between. Yeah. Yeah. And for now, as somebody that doesn't like to rewatch movies, watching this movie <laughs> three times is probably all I'm going to watch for now. Same. <laughs> I even argued for it, and I don't really want to sit there again for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. No, but... I, I think I, I think that um, some of the the romantic relationship stuff also comes into play. Like I, I said it, but mm-hmm. I don't think he would ever cheat on his wife or think about it again. I think you know, unless I'm wrong about. I don't know the actual history of yeah, that, but isn't there something feel like he, though? Hint, don't they hint at the fact that he did like? Did he? Yeah. I, I don't. I think they they mentioned some other affair he had with the woman we did. But it was know. before. Oh. But it was before. I meant like after I the gotcha. bomb. Okay. Like I don't think that this man would be a womanizer ever again. When the movie ends, you know. When the movie ends, when the like movie I think, ends. yeah. I, the story that, that continues is a guy who's way more loyal. I gotcha. You've got a guy who. Let's just say this: he wasn't the ultimate evil as far as a human being was concerned, but he committed the ultimate sin. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's almost like you read it as like the, he doesn't want to ever do anything wrong again. He's just going to take whatever punishment he gets. Right. Right. You know, from what he did, mm-hmm. you know, that's and that's that is an arc. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. It's like whatever I get, I deserve from now on. 
you know, he's not wrong. <laughs> but that's an arc to me. Yeah. I no, I think it does. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> Heavy shit to end on. Heavy. It's a really, yeah, it's a depressing end to a depressing yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's everything, guys. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's everything for Oppenheimer. Um, that's our second Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. Yes. Or do we have we done another one? I'm forgetting. One. I think that's yeah. it. I think it's just those two. Let's uh, space them out next time. <laughs> Memento wasn't that long ago. No, right? it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so if we do uh, the Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> so Jamie can talk about the fight. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he can just break for an down. hour, just three fight. hours. I just want to talk about that, that fight. fight. I think that fight. we need to do a podcast on the fight. We'll see Jamie arc because of the discussion on that fight. Yes. Um, did you guys want to plug anything, or do you have anything to tell people? That I'll just say to? real quick. Uh, if you have any questions, comments for us uh, about this episode or other episodes, hit us up at writers blockbusters podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And I, I have, uh, I have two things to plug last night at Terrace lanes is now available. You can watch it anywhere. If you want to watch it, check it out. Um, and I'm doing a webinar for save the cat in February. Um, it's, it's kind of going to be a two day thing. It's, um, and it's a lot of it. It's kind of like an advanced class, like this five point finale. Like that's the type of thing I'll be covering. Like, it's kind of like you've read the books. Now I'm going to help you with some tips to fill out those beats. So, um, I'd love, and it's not a hugely expensive one. So, um, I'd love if anybody wants to check it out, go to save the cat.com. Perfect. Uh, that's it. That's well, it. thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Bob Rose, and thank you for listening to Writer's Blockbusters. If you'd like to financially support the show, please consider joining my Patreon. I've been producing the podcast for several years completely out of pocket, and I'd like to keep producing it ad-free and no longer at a loss. If you'd like to help, head on over to patreon.com slash Bob Rose sucks. That's right. Bob Rose sucks. And if you want the one and only Jimmy George to help polish up that writing project you're kind of struggling with, head on over to scriptbutcher.com. As a listener, you already know he's the best there is. Scriptbutcher.com. You can also support the show by simply sharing it or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate both. Thank you for listening and see you next episode.